we've been waiting like a month to be able to talk about this episode. Episode three of The Last of Us might be one of the best episodes of television that we've seen in recent memory. It is further proof that The Last of Us might be one of the best video game adaptations ever. And it's also, in my opinion, the most change that we've seen from the game to the TV show. And just living proof that how such a change can be brilliant and even make the video game better. When you're playing a video game, there are things that you do that you have control over that keeps you interested. So oftentimes, the characters in the game can be somewhat underdeveloped because you're distracted by shooting things and going on mini quests and ticking off all of those boxes while you're playing this adventure. It's stuff that you just don't get when you're watching a TV show because you are pretty much a passive observer of the content that's being fed to you. And so I think a TV show has a lot, has more of a burden, if you will, in trying to keep you invested, in trying to get your emotions going. And I think this episode, episode three, dealing with the characters of Bill and Frank, does that absolutely brilliantly. But hey, I know you haven't played the game. So I will give you an overview of what happens in the game. Yes, please. Bill is a character in the game. You encounter Bill. He's very much alive when you meet him. And you only hear about Frank. Their relationship is, I would say, at best hinted at. It's very subtle. It's not explicit that they were partners. We have no idea how deep their love was. It's kind of a passing remark that you hear about Bill and Frank and their relationship. Also, in the game, it is kind of hinted at that Frank leaves and that Bill chooses to go at it alone. And so even then, the dynamic between Bill and Frank is very different in the video game because there's a point in the game when they encounter Frank's body and Bill kind of mumbles under his breath, fuck him. So there is this right, right. love, I hate you for leaving type thing happening in the video game. Okay. What this episode does is absolutely brilliant. I mean, it is a bottle episode in many ways. It is something of a detour because we actually leave Joel and Ellie and spend the vast majority of this episode with Bill and Frank. And yet it feels utterly essential to the story that is being told. And a lot of that has to do with Murray Bartlett and Nick Offerman and just how beautifully they play these parts. You watch this episode first, and I remember you just going, have you seen episode three yet? Have you seen episode three yet? I need to talk to you about episode three. Have you seen episode three yet? <laughs> I was going to call it, and I still am going to call it, essentially the best love story I had seen in the last 13, 14 months. Agreed. What episode three of The Last of Us season one has done in about 40 minutes or so. The whole episode is about an hour long, but I think the episode is bookended by Joel and Ellie in present time. But that middle portion of that 40 minutes, 45 minutes or something, is just some of the most beautiful love story storytelling I'd seen. Because there's so much happens in that. There's an entire life that is spent within that, that middle period of the episode that does enough and does so much to build out not just the world 
of The Last of Us, but also the resulting fallout and, and how certain people responded to the fallout and how they built themselves up or built themselves in. I thought that was, it's a really good introduction to the world without having to make Joel and Ellie do this heavy lifting of the story. I think it's the first time we get that different perspective, right? So we've seen Joel's perspective from the very first episode. And we kind of were introduced to the world as well as the monsters in episodes one and two. And this break comes at the perfect time because now we're like, oh, wait, how did the rest of the world deal with this problem? And even then, even at the beginning of the episode, when they encounter that crater with the dead bodies, the explanation of those dead bodies isn't overwrought. Mm. We get a gut punch of seeing the little girl's dress. But all we see is the woman getting into the truck with the little girl. They don't make a point of showing you what Fedra did. Yeah. It's unimportant. We get it. It was a time of crisis. Unspeakable things were done. And then we immediately kind of cut to Bill, who comes off initially as, oh, look, he is this Republican-like gun-toting, I've got a bunker in case of the apocalypse, dude. Yeah. And... Even at that point in the game when Bill goes, fuck him, there is a moment where you feel maybe he is embarrassed about being gay. And in this, you don't get that. And I'm so glad that they move beyond it because this feels like a loving, open relationship. And it's something that is so fitting towards the end of the world. Like Bill's never had a relationship like this. And when he meets Frank as well, the way that story unfurls right you know he traps him as it happens you're not sure as well you're like can i trust this fella is he going to like knock bill out and then steal all his guns and kill him what's his game and then the way it develops into this long proper relationship is something beautiful to behold i rewatched it earlier this morning and there was a moment that made me question frank because right after they have dinner and they're about to make love for the first time frank turns to Bill and says, just so you know that I'm not a whore who sleeps with people for a free lunch, if we're going to do this, I'm going to stay for a couple of days. At which point you go, hmm, is he actually a homosexual or is he just doing it for the rabbit and the wine? Yeah. It's like, what's your game, man? Yeah. Even then, there was this beautiful sort of smash cut to Frank storming out of the house, you know, and you think like, oh, yep. You know, it's it's come ahead. Bill's found out this guy was just using Bill for the meat and the wine. But then they're actually arguing about the house, which is an argument couples have all the time, right? He just goes, I want something nice. Just give me gasoline so I can mow the lawn. Let me do up some of the shops because I need to look at pretty things. And I thought that was such a beautiful, quick smash cut to show that this relationship has turned into a relationship. Frank is also like, I need other people. And then, of course, you know, you flash forward to them actually having lunch with Joel and Tess and doing like a double date. For me, there was a little, even on rewatch, there was a bit there that, that sort of kicked me out a little bit in that Joel didn't look young enough. I didn't see the, the, the fact that this was a long time ago. Right. Because that moment happened, I think, maybe about 11 or 10 years prior to current present time. So it just feels like on quick glance, you forget that that was a 10-year period. Because by the end of the episode, Bill and Frank has aged considerably compared to what Pedro Pascal. But then again, it's Pedro Pascal. He's a vampire or whatever. So That could be it. <laughs> 
the way this show uses these flashbacks and flash forwards is very very clever in the way they tell these stories because a lesser show would flash back within the story and keep cutting back to Joel and Ellie because they feel or rather they don't have the confidence that the audience is going to stick with them and want to see the main characters and we've seen it in so many shows right they always do that they bring you back to the main characters but i think there is such a confidence in the importance of bill and frank story and the way they tell it that they can stick with them for these 45 minutes mind you these are characters that we've never met before that we know are not going to last past this episode because they're not main characters and also it's episode 3 huh we've only spent two episodes with our heroes so far so it's a really bold fucking decision <laughs> to spend the bulk of this episode on these two characters that we've never met before and i think it's amazing it is so smart there's a confidence in the writing because as we said earlier in this episode there is a need for the bill and frank story it can't just be an Ellie and Joel cross country thing because at some point you're going to start wondering about the rest of the world this bill and frank excursion does enough to show you that yeah there will be people who are going to be the preppers there will be the raiders and those are the type of things and those are the types of tropes that that we don't really need to see right now but what we need to see are the people who may almost fall into the trope that prepper that survivalist thing but then actually also be a real human being with feelings they still manage to surprise you with those twists like after the raid on the farm you see a person in a wheelchair and you think it's bill because he's been shot and you think maybe frank couldn't save him completely couldn't get the bullet out it did some real damage yeah. no it's yeah. frank in the wheelchair cuz he's got a debilitating disease and there's a genuine gasp when that happens oh it's an emotional roller coaster which is pulled off so well and yes it boils down to the writing but also nick offerman and murray bartlett are amazing in this i just want to say that nick offerman casting is also really clever counter programming right yes. you've seen nick offerman be that be this guy this survivalist guy because you've seen him in parks and rec being like all you know guns are great hunting is my thing not only that but even in real life if you follow him on social media he's building stuff all the time right he's like a wood guy and he's doing all this shit he's an absolute handyman and then to sort of pair that version of Nick Offerman that we see in our head the real life version of Nick Offerman and pair that with being a slightly not funny grumpy gus because in Parks and Rec he's a cute funny grumpy gus yes here he isn't here he is a dangerous grumpy gus to sort of add more weight to that you make him gay so it just becomes this really rounded character because you don't need all of that background you see nick offerman you're like yep he's a gun guy he can make traps it's all fine this isn't a show about the monsters we think because the people who attack the farm are raiders they're not the infected cuz you know what bill's got that sorted out he's got these traps he's got these bombs he's got these trip wires gatling guns whatever right but it's the humans that he needs to worry about because they want that good life that he's having behind those fences and they're the ones mm. that attack right and it's the kind of thing that the walking dead also did or tries to do but there are times when the walking dead got too much or went too far into the soap opera direction of that 
that it became a little tedious. At least I felt that in the later seasons. Yeah, absolutely. They started leaning into the shock value of things. Meanwhile, it still feels very fresh in The Last of Us. And I think the biggest change between the video game and this in telling this story is by focusing on Bill and Frank's relationship and by showing us the emotional heft of that relationship, what the writers do very well is that by the time Joel and Ellie show up at the end of the episode, all of that emotion is transferred to them. It's not like the episode just abruptly ends when Bill and Frank decide to take their own lives together, but instead you feel the weight of it because Joel has lost his friend and suddenly all of that emotional weight is felt by these two protagonists as well, not just us. It's very smartly done. Yeah, and I think that transference happens with the letter, right? Because Bill says in the letter, take anything you need and protect Tess because guys like us protect people. I think he refers to himself as motherfuckers like us, I think, or something. Yes, And yes, I think yes. that sort of realisation for Joel is what I was talking about in the previous episode in that he now has a purpose in life. Not only did he realize it previously after the loss of Tess, it's now confirmed by these people that he had loved before, people that he had cared for, that Bill has said, this is your mission now. It was for Tess, but in his head, it's now for Ellie. And also there's a bit of foreshadowing as well because I think he ends the letter by saying, God help any motherfuckers who stand in our way. And yes, that's the one. Of course, that foreshadows the end of the first season and what is to come. I mean, if you play the game, you know what's coming. But it's like this dark messaging of what's to come. I go back to what I was talking about in episode two, when we reviewed episode two and we did our recap. Every moment in the show matters. And this episode was longer than most. But at the same time, as you're watching it, and you've seen it twice, I've seen it twice now, every moment matters. As you watch it, you're like, oh, there's a reason for every single thing that they do. Like, I can watch this episode over and over again. There is so much. It is so rich. This is the one episode that I was looking forward to re-watching, right? Because I enjoyed the other episodes. But for me, episode three is the emotion of the sort of nine, eight episodes that we're about to see. As a fan of the game as well, these are the kind of changes that I do want to see. Because I'm sure the showrunners and the writers are very well aware of the things you can do in a video game versus the things you can and should do in a TV episode. They left out loads of key and crucial moments that take place in the game when they encounter Bill. Also because you encounter Bill as a living person and he is an NPC almost, right? So it's a different interaction. La. And so because of that, there are some interesting set pieces in the game with Bill, but they don't use any of that in the show. And rightly so, because you're playing those set pieces. And it's a different experience. And even though they're impactful in the game, I don't think they would have worked in the TV show. And so this is the kind of change I want to see where you go, listen, this is a cool character. He's a fan favorite character. How then do we build this up? So one, the fans can still enjoy him. And two, the audience at large will appreciate who he is and what he stands for as well. And it reminds me a lot of old school TV writing, especially when it comes to things like The Twilight Zone, because you can see how this would be a Twilight Zone episode. The great thing yeah. about Twilight Zone episodes were the writers had an amazing ability to make us fall in love 
with characters within a 20 to 40 minute period. Characters who we had just met. They never repeat, mind you, every story is standalone. Yeah. And yet you go on this emotional journey. And it was just fantastic, beautiful, very smart, just a masterclass in writing. Like if you want to learn how to be a writer, if you want to learn how to write television, I always tell people you've got to watch the Twilight Zone episodes. Like it's how reading a short story or studying a short story, even in literature, sets you up for Mm. the bigger stuff. Yes, writing a novel is a very different process, but the structure and format of a short story is so difficult to do. There are any number of bad short films out there. Hell yeah, there are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that that forget that you have 20 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes to tell a complete story. You can't just have characters say words and then leave the audience hanging at the end and call it an artsy ending because that's not the point. The point is you have to tell a story. This episode is the perfect example of what those old, those old bottle episodes, we used to call them, right? In the middle... Middle noughties, we refer to a bottle episode as almost like a shorthand for just wasting time because you have an episode to fill. Whereas in actuality, a bottle episode is a way of telling a story that builds out the world but may not include your main characters. Absolutely. I mean, the other problem, of course, was on traditional network television, they used to have those bottle episodes because, you know, they had 22 episode seasons, they blew their budget, couldn't afford to have the whole cast back for an episode. So you will have an episode of Frasier, which was centered around Roz and Daphne, right? Because they couldn't afford to play Frasier and Niles. Or have Captain Picard stuck in one room and playing with one bottle for 60 minutes or whatever it might be. Or, or the worst of all, They would record a prologue and an epilogue and then have just flashbacks of our best moments. Do you remember that Christmas? Oh, Oh, that's a... I hated those episodes. I always loved those episodes for purely just how lazy they were. (laughs) But also, I, I hated those episodes because we had no access to on-demand television. So you've been waiting a whole fucking week for a new episode and then you get that? Oh. The other one for me is the special episode at the beginning of a season where they show you what happened all of last season. So they spend 25 minutes and just giving you the highlights. I'm just like, start next week. Like, don't like, tell me it starts this week. <laughs> I think all that aside, I cannot rave enough about episode three. If there is ever a concern about whether or not this show is for you, if you can get past episode three... I think this show might be for you. After you watch episode three, you realize this is just great television, period. It's got nothing to do with the game. It's just great television, full stop. What's particularly good and brilliant about all of this is that their story plays out in an incredibly natural way. So as you're watching it, there are no moments that feel like they're being emotionally manipulative. It feels like, yes, This is exactly how Bill and Frank's story would play out. This is exactly how Frank would behave in the final moments of his life. All of that just stays true to what we know about these characters, and we've only known them for about 40 minutes. Everyone needs to watch this episode. Like, I think anyone who's writing television and writing film need to watch this episode. It teaches us so much about the craft. It also teaches us so much about the characters without it having been 
without it being a thing. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like a Bill and Frank episode when it actually is a Bill and Frank episode. It doesn't feel like a, we're now going to take a detour and look at these guys. It feels very natural to come forward from episode two and how we will go out to episode four. There's a real reason for this episode to be here other than just let's have Nick Offerman do a thing. I can't say enough good things about it. I can see myself just putting this on because I'm looking for an hour or something. The Last of Us, episode three, dropped earlier today. It is absolutely fantastic. We will continue our recaps all the way through episode nine. There's a lot more good stuff, mind you. Episode three is real peak TV storytelling, but the rest of the season is pretty damn good as well. And it's amazing that the writers and showrunners managed to maintain that quality throughout. Let us know what you think once you've seen this episode. You know how to reach out to us, GoglerMY, all of our social media feeds. Some of you have already reached out over DM on Twitter and Instagram to get that Discord link from us. So if you haven't, join Discord. It's very easy to do. Don't let the technicalities of server talk scare you away. You just have to download an app, click a link, and boom, you're talking to all of us in real time. There's like 100 people on there right now. It's really fun. Also, you can email us, podcast at goggler.my. You can also WhatsApp us on the Goggler hotline, 012-524-5208. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Goggler Podcast.